I'm Steph Hansen, faculty at Iowa State University. And I'm Mary Janowski, faculty at the University of Nebraska. When we started our faculty positions, we quickly realized how important mentoring can be to the success of our graduate students and our programs. Using the principles of community, communication, and curiosity, we'll give you actionable tips to become a better graduate student mentor based on what we've learned during our mentoring journey. We've We've made the mistakes, so you don't have to, because mentoring matters. Hello, mentors, and welcome to episode six of the Mentoring Matters podcast. So what's new with you this week, Mary? Interesting things that I've been noticing over the past few weeks is, is just how my group seems to be just really engaged. Uh, like the other day, uh, one of my students out of the blue volunteered to come help sample on a Saturday. And I love that attitude. It's very can-do, very excited about what we're trying to accomplish and, and willing just to contribute. It's just been really nice and refreshing, especially because things have been very, very busy uh, with a lot of projects starting. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to get frustrated with how much you have to do. And yet everybody's attitude's been very positive. And for me, that makes all the difference in the world. On a personal note, I have been writing a book and I published that last week. That's been kind of a, it's been fun weekend and evening projects for me. It's grant writing season. So getting ready to submit some grants to USDA funding agency in the next couple of weeks. So we're kind of all grants all the time right now in terms of our mindset. So our um, question this week is how do you help your graduate students finish strong? And in this case, when we say finish, we're talking about that dreaded final semester leading up to the defense. Yeah, you know, this is a time that can get very stressful for graduate students and their mentors. Let's be honest, right? It can be very stressful for us as well, especially if you have multiple graduate students trying to finish at the same time. But even one is stressful enough. Um, For me, I know one of the things that's been very, very beneficial has been uh, working with the students to lay out a timeline of their writing, of their lab work, and and actually trying to get them to think about how much time it's going to take to get each component done so that um, they can really start seeing that they've got to make that forward progress. Frankly, I would say the last semester maybe is a little bit too late to do that, but it seems like that's always when I think about doing the weekly deadlines. And so if I had advice for myself and others, it would probably (laughs) start that another semester earlier. But I do think it really helps them when they start laying it out and they take the time to figure out all the things they have to accomplish and to budget time for revisions. Um, So time for you to look at it and and get it back to, to them. I think they start realizing that they've got to start making that kind of steady progress or they're not going to be able to meet their goals. I know, Steph, you do something very similar. Yeah. So I thought I would just actually kind of talk through an example of, you know, what I'm going through right now, just to to help our listeners understand kind of how they might, you know, take this into account. So my research program is super busy in the fall. We do feedlot nutrition research. We're really busy in the fall. 
And uh, I also teach an undergraduate nutrition class in the fall. So it's just crazy busy for me in the fall. And I happen to have two PhD students finishing this fall. They're both really great students and I have all the confidence in the world that they're going to you know, finish on time and, and make write great dissertations. Um, but it never hurts to kind of send them down the right path. You know, I'm not a type A, I'm a, I'm a type AAA, right? Like I like to plan and organize. And, and so about January 1st of this year, I just kind of went into my like uber planning and nesting mode where I was like, okay, kids, I'm just going to plan out your futures and mine for the next 12 months with the goal that we're all, you know, have less gray hair at the end of the year and, you know, can figure out exactly how to get through this together. So the way that I did that was I made a document myself and I just laid it out and I said, okay, well, if the dissertation has a lit review and maybe four independent research chapters and a conclusions chapter, and these are due in November to make them finish. I just made a calendar and I worked backwards and basically said, okay, every two months, you need to have a dissertation chapter done to the point of either submitting it to a journal for um, review, or I need to have it and it's kind of in pretty final state. And if we can just every two months tick off one of these chapters, by the time October rolls around, we're going to be like, hey, look, you wrote a dissertation this year. And it's not like, oh, God, I have to write a dissertation in the next four months or next four weeks, excuse me. Because um, like you said, when we wait till the last semester, you know, sometimes it's just a little bit too late. Yeah. So I actually have them do a, a schedule in, ex in Excel. Um, I know there's a lot of different ways they could do it, but we basically just have each week as a, a row. And then we have columns that would be, you know, writing a column for revisions, a column for lab work, and then a column for classwork, as well as if they have a project still going, um, they have a column for that. And so they can kind of start planning out, you know, I'm going to be really busy this week, say, for instance, I have a test, if they're still in classes, um, then they can kind of say, okay, you know, I think I'm going to not get as much done on my writing. So they're going to have a smaller writing goal and things like that. So they can actually start kind of planning it out and realizing, okay, how long is this actually going to take me to get these things accomplished and making sure that um, at the end, I always like them to plan, like whenever they're supposed to be done, it's like, okay, we need a three week minimum cushion so that when things don't happen on time, we can still get done to meet your goals. And I really do think that um, they do a really great job. Once you kind of give them the ideas, I usually show them somebody else's from past years and say, okay, this is kind of what theirs look like. Um, and so it gives them something to start off from. And I say, you know, go look and see what the deadlines are for the graduate school. And then, you know, make sure that you get your, um, your defense template, code? go get your template downloaded. That's the one thing that they never do till the end. They'd save themselves a lot of time if they get a template downloaded on day one. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, to, to, they don't have to reformat and those types of things. I was going to say about making sure that, you know, they're thinking this is the last semester, go ahead and try to get your defense date scheduled because committee members are hard uh, to organize. It's, it's like herding cats. <laughs> Not even like herding cats. It's like herding like whole populations of cats. Like committee members are just insane. We've had times where it's been like, oh, I'm going to be gone this entire semester. Yeah, that one's, it, it is sometimes difficult. And especially if you're trying to do it right at the very end, you know, they've got so many other students that they may be on committees for. And so 
start early and make sure that you've got your plan in place so that you do know when your deadlines are. So I think that one's really, really important. And, and the earlier, the better in terms of scheduling, you can always go back and, and say, okay, we're not going to meet this deadline and we're going to move back a bit on when they're going to graduate. But if they set a deadline for themselves and they let other people know, I think it helps hold them a little bit more accountable as well. One of the things that that they talk a lot about in a lot of these writing podcasts that I listen to is this idea of finishing energy. So, you know, you're at the 90% mark or 85% mark in your work and just like, oh, this is never going to end. And how can you turn that into, oh my God, it's almost at the end. And then I'm going to have this finished thing and I can share all of this work that I've been doing for these last three to five years with the world. So I think one of the things is how do you help your students pick up that finishing energy? How do we make it contagious? Because I love the science that they're working on. I know they get to the point that they're burnout by the, by the end, right? How do we avoid the burnout and instead turn it into this finishing energy concept? Yeah, we often talk about our goals in terms of our goals for why we're doing the research. Of course, I have a very heavy extension appointment. So a lot of the work I do is very applied. So it's very easy to talk about how this information can affect a producer and how it could have a big impact. Bringing that back and reminding them them of that all the time and making them really see the implications does give them a perspective of this isn't just something I'm doing as an assignment and it'll help me get my degree, but really they are contributing to, to other people's lives and helping other people by what they're doing. And then The other thing I think that's really helpful is to help them see how all those small things that they're doing that they can put on their CV can help them become very competitive for a job in the future. And so I like to do that throughout talking through that idea at least once a semester, we kind of do CV updates and, and we talk through ideas for things to include. And then we talk about gaps that they may have and talk about how we target those gaps so that they're always thinking about how they can use this. The, um, the CV gap thing is a great way to get a student interested in an opportunity that you would like to present them with, right? I really need you to mentor this undergrad and then you can put it on your CV that you have all this supervisory experience, right? And you can talk about how to turn that into something. So I think that's a great point. The other thing with CVs and talking about jobs, right, is of course, That's one of the reasons that students are stressed at the end of their program. You know, unless they're a master's student who's already decided and committed somewhere to go on for their PhD, most of the time our students don't necessarily have a job until that last semester. And with industry positions, it may not even be until right before they graduate or even right after, right? And so they're kind of putting all this stress on themselves that they need to find the perfect job. And meanwhile, they need to write this stupid dissertation, right? Like, <laughs> and that's kind of how they feel about it, right? Because they feel like the job is the big thing they've been working towards. So for whatever reason, I sometimes find that grad students are hesitant to involve me in their job search process. And what I mean to say there is like, It's not my job to get them a job. It is my job to make them as competitive as they can be for any jobs that they're interested in, right? And hopefully we've done that during their program. But also I'm super happy to review their CV and help them improve that and review a cover letter and give them suggestions. You know, we practice presentations before they go and do a seminar for an academic position or something like that, right? So I think as a mentor, 
make sure your sure your students understand that you're willing, you know, to help continue to be a mentor to them in that really important part of the process. Yeah. So when I first started, I never explicitly said that I was interested and willing to try to help them develop their job applications or even um, help them think through their presentations or their interview. And I saw the same thing that they really did not involve me that much unless I specifically asked. And so now I actually am very conscious about talking to them about job opportunities, asking them, you know, what is it you want to do and reminding them that I am here to help as much as I can. As you said, I'm, my job is not to get them a job, but I can provide the advice and wisdom that I have, right? And I encourage them to go reach out to other people, depending on what the job is they want to do. If I have contacts that they can use to, you know, learn more about what people want in that type of a position and help make them more competitive in terms of what they would put together for a package or a job application, then by all means, let me know so I can provide that advice and that help to you. And I have seen a huge difference in, in how they approach it in terms of their willingness to involve me a little bit more. One of the other things I wanted to make sure that we brought up in this discussion here today is actually something that we started last summer. It's another kind of COVID lemonade, as I like to call them, right? One of the things we were kind of forced to get creative um, when we weren't all together every day. I realized last summer that I had lots of students who basically could be writing a lit review, either brand new students who weren't able to start their cattle research right away, who could get started on their lit review, which is a luxury that we don't always have with students, right? Um, or we had students who were wrapping up and, and really needed to write the lit review to, to finish things up. So I actually encouraged my group and put one person in charge of it to form a lit review writing group. Essentially, they rotate. So there'd be like five or six students in that group and they would rotate. So one week it would be maybe two of them would contribute sections that week. And then the next week, another two would contribute sections, but they would all kind of learn together how to be better writers of a lit review. And they go through some papers that we share with them about how to write an effective lit review and then they'll peer edit each other's. And then by the time I see those sections for the first time, you know, they're really so much more in depth than they are when it's just the first draft. I always tell students, I'm going to edit that first section 10 times. There's going to be a lot of blood on it, right? And then later, we won't have to edit those sections very much at all because you're going to pick up that I really don't like the word levels. I like the word concentrations or <laughs> that, you know, there's other things that are kind of particular to what, to what we need and improve their writing style. Can you think of other examples, Mary, where um, your group has kind of contributed to helping a student finish strong? Yeah, I do think that just like we talked about, like practicing for jobs and those types of things, even practicing for, say, their defense, um, having their, their fellow students engage in, in talking about the science and asking questions uh, can be really, really useful for coming up uh, against those committee members. And I don't really mean that as adversarial, but let's, let's be honest, like it's scary, right? You have these people that are sitting in this room that you perceive as to be the experts. And I talk to my students, you know, that you, you likely know your topic and your data better than anybody else. So you are the expert in the room and own it, but it's still, it's still intimidating, right? To be in front of those other professors 
And so I like to have them get multiple chances to kind of go through the process of being asked questions and having to answer them. And so having their peers ask them questions and think through what things might pop up, you know, these are the people on the committee and think what they might ask and ask those questions to that individual so that they get some time to think about it ahead of time and they practice being able to critically think. So a few thoughts that I had there listening to you, one would be, I think that's number one, why we like to have students get involved in the grant writing process, right? Grant writing forces you to clearly articulate your hypothesis and justify, you know, lay out your reasoning for why you're doing the research. And students can get themselves in real trouble in a defense if they're unable to justify why the heck we did their research, right? Like it's kind of rule number one. And I can't tell you how many times and lots of different students that I've seen that that's a major challenge. So I think grant writing has really been useful in that sense. Um, the other one is this idea of, you know, practicing with your peers and, and, you know, it's a nice thing about having a tight knit group. You know, I almost never see a cold draft of a presentation anymore, right? By that time, they've already practiced it with people. And, and, and some of them are, you know, more critical than I am. I always tell students to reread the lit review before the defense. Like, you know, if you're not going to do anything else the night before, reread your lit review and then have a glass of wine and go to bed early because sleep is more important than anything else. You know, if you didn't learn it already, it's probably too late. <laughs> Yeah, helping them understand that the most important thing is that they just show that they can think and that they can logic their way through an answer and be willing to say when you don't know and be willing to say uh, when you have a hypothesis based off of what you do know. And so I have started trying, it's really hard sometimes, to in my individual meetings, ask more questions and have them defend their answers so that they get a little bit of practice. I do think that's very, very useful. Um, it's sometimes hard for me because it's like I ask a question and, I, and they start going somewhere that I'm not going and I want to like bring them over to where I was thinking. And it's really easy for me to want to answer the question for them. And so I've got to just hold tight and let them work their way through it. And most of the time they get there. And so if I just keep my mouth shut, I do really good. But helping yeah. them get that practice is really, really important. Yeah, I totally agree. It's one thing that's taken me a lot of years to realize that I just need to keep my damn mouth shut, right? And let them try to answer first. Or when they ask a question, just immediately parrot it back to them, right? Like, I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> you know, be like a five-year-old, like, but why, but why, but why, what do you think? And I think I can see the difference in the students where I have been much more intentional about that than the ones that I just immediately answered. And then was like, oh man, I should have like totally let them try it first. Right. Because I'm not giving, I'm not doing them any justice if I don't let them try to work it out for themselves first and then, and then work with them to find the correct answer if they didn't get there. Yeah. I think that helps them not be quite as nervous when they get in the defense also think um, reminding them that the faculty members are not waiting for the I gotcha moment. That they're not asking trick questions. They're actually really interested in. Um, yes. Oftentimes Often they're asking questions. Too interested. <laughs> they don't know. They're asking questions they don't know the answer to. I mean, that's. Of course, we don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, helping them understand that they want to hear your thoughts and it is a conversation um, sometimes can bring the pressure down a little bit and, and help them be able to think a little bit more clearly. 
So one of the things um, that I think we're increasingly finding opportunities with is the opportunity to have a student publish the lit review. So I think publishing the lit review is a really nice opportunity for the student to kind of see a more finalized goal for their lit review or even a piece of it. And so actually I just wanted to briefly talk here, um, calling it my pro tip as in, I wish I would have known this 12 years ago. Um, whenever feasible from finances or whatever, if you can have a more senior student who is leaving have some overlap of a semester or two with the new student coming in who's going to pick up their topic, give them that time to really hand off the baton. You know, you have so much institutional knowledge and topical knowledge that can be transferred from that senior student to the junior student. And one of the ways that I'm facilitating that right now, because I'm super lucky to have this situation, um, is I'm actually having those two write a review together. And so they're each having distinct sections that are going to be a part of their own lit review that they can put their name on but they are working together to write a um, advanced topic um, review of this you know, area that we're gonna submit um, this summer. And it's been so cool to see them walk through the process of outlining that lit review or that review and you know, having meetings with me and I'll be like, well, what about this? And they're like, yeah, we found these papers on this. And it's just been super fun to see it all kind of come together and they're really challenging each other on the editing and stuff. So by the time it gets to me, it's in pretty good shapes. Yeah, that does sound that does sound pretty nice. Uh, when the students can work together, they can help kind of fuel the fire, so to speak, and and get the get each other really pumped up about what they're doing and about their research. And that's pretty neat. Do you think there's anything we've missed that we should uh, mention before we come to an end here? Yeah, I think the last thing I was thinking about was, um, and everybody has kind of different opinions on this, but. I feel pretty strongly that in today's era of the internet, um, the student's thesis or dissertation, it has their name on it, it has my name on it, it has their committee member's name on it, it has our program's name on it, and they need to put something together that every one of those people are proud of. So, you know, we need to, to work hard to have an effective lit review, we need to work hard to have well-edited manuscripts that are hopefully only one step away from being ready for submission, well-thought-out conclusions, because if you can Google, you can probably find somebody's dissertation and you can go back and read it. And um, you want to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward on that. Yeah, it's it's now a permanent thing that is really easily accessible. I do remind my students of that as well. And I'm willing to help them get it there, right? I'm willing yes. to put in the time to do the editing, to do the revisions, to help them make the product as best as they can make it be. Um, but ultimately, it is, of course, a, their product, and it is up to them to actually get it done. Um, so it is kind of one of those things where I try to remind them, you know, this will be out there forever, so make sure it's something you're proud of. Yeah, absolutely. It's no longer just, you know, a dusty bound book that sits on a shelf in the library or something like that, right? This is something that anybody in the world can get access to. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Our show is on YouTube and the link will be in the show notes. And we'd love for you guys to respond in the comments section and tell us your thoughts on the question of the week. So we can learn from you and, and others as well. You know, they can learn from your comments. As a reminder, the question of the week is, how do you help your graduate students finish strong? I'd really, really be interested to hear what others are doing. So maybe we can incorporate some of that. 
uh, thanks and uh, we'll see you next time.